Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It was this particular day I'd taken my son out for his birthday and I could feel the panic attack brewing in the cafe and I didn't want him to see me or anyone else to see me lose control and... I quickly got him into the car and off to daycare and I got home and just unleashed this panic attack. I had no idea where I was. I And I just, I think I rang Lifeline at the time and I had no, just, I knew I was in my home, but I couldn't recognise it. And it wasn't until I think she said, are you a mum? And it was just like this thud. I just like, I just came down to earth. And I just burst into tears and I said, I am a mum. I am a mum. And I was so ashamed. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through. 
and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Have you ever experienced a panic attack? Maybe you've had episodes that you couldn't explain. This week on the Heal blog, I'm sharing how to recognize a panic attack and what you can do if you are experiencing panic attacks. The links to the Heal blog are in the show notes. If you listened to episode one of Beck's story last week, you will recall how Beck survived an extremely chaotic childhood. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please go back and listen to part one. This week, we hear about the full impact of that chaos, that abuse and abandonment. Beck's life did come apart at the seams. She suffered years and years of mental unwellness, which culminated in chronic anxiety and debilitating blackout panic attacks. And yet here she is, the author of an incredible book called Chasing Normal, a must read, which details Beck's journey of living through hell and then fighting like hell to find her way through to the other side. And it is nothing short of total inspiration. This story is about a woman who never gave up, who was determined not to be defined by the trauma that she had experienced in childhood. Please join me now for part two of Beck's story. It really changed everything when I had my son. I just, you know, I couldn't imagine allowing the stuff that my mum had allowed with me to to happen to my, my son. He was my world and I was his protector at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you think that trauma has affected you over the years? Have you had anxiety? How did it play out for you? Yeah, look, I mean, I know the trigger point. The point that my life really went downhill mentally was when I, my good friend, her mum was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. And I'd had my little boy, my second boy, he was four months old, actually, at the time. And I'd grown up with this, my friend and her mum, and I adored her mum. You know, she represented everything I wanted in a mum. She was just a beautiful woman, just loved her kids, and just a homely mum, made sure she had boundaries, you know, made sure they all sat at the table. And it was just such a beautiful environment. And I, I remember when I got that phone call, there was something that just changed. And it obviously, I guess now I understand it was a feeling of not having that safety where I internalized her illness onto me and I started to analyze every ache, pain, niggle. Mind you, I was, you know, three months post-delivery. So, you know, naturally you're going to have all sorts of things happen after you have a baby, but I was laser focused on dying. That was, how did I not know I had cancer? And it just grew from there. I kept it extremely hidden from my husband. I don't know how, but it was, it became chronic to the point where I was losing any sense of reality. And I I don't actually know how I kept a lid on it for so long because I had, I knew I had to be there for my boys and I wanted to be there, but I also knew I was losing my mind. I was convinced that I was dying and 
and then it's and then it rolled into panic attacks. It rolled into you know not being able to go outside with my own with my boys and just trying it's like how did I describe it it was like this constant bubbling under like your nerves are constantly on fire and every part of you is bubbling away like a boiling kettle it was it was just yeah it was it was hell it was absolute hell on earth and there were times that you know I remember the day that I was trying desperately to get a hold of my husband. I was, it was actually my son, my my youngest son's birthday. And, you know, it's always a bit of a sore point when my birth, my son's birthday comes up now because it was the day it was, I was trying to get my husband to answer the phone because I think I only had them in daycare one day a week. And it was this particular day I'd taken my son out for his birthday and I could feel the panic attack brewing in the cafe and I didn't want him to see me or anyone else to see me lose control. And I quickly got him into the car and off to daycare and I got home and just unleashed this panic attack. I had no idea where I was. I And I just, I think I rang Lifeline at the time and I had no, just, I knew I was in my home, but I couldn't recognise it. And it wasn't until I think she said, are you a mum? And it was just like this thud. I just like, I just came down to earth and I just burst into tears and I said, I am a mum. I am a mum. And I was so ashamed. Like, how am I raising these babies? I'm crazy. I'm going out of my mind. And it just kind of, you know, I don't even think I told my husband. I still did not tell my husband. There was a day that I wanted to walk out and all I wanted to do was get my husband to pick up the kids and he wasn't answering his phone. He was working an hour away. And I tried my other special lady in my life. She was a dear old friend. And I rang her and she wasn't answering. And I just went, what am I going to do? I, I want to walk out the house, but someone's got to pick up the kids. Someone's got to pick up the kids. I just wanted to make sure they're all right. And I think I must have left a message on my my friend's uh, phone. I said, can you just grab my kids, make sure they're okay? And she said, and she texted, she rang me back. She goes, where are you going? And I said, I'm just going out. Can you just pick up the kids? And she's like, Beck, are you okay? I'm like, and I just screamed at her, don't just get my kids. And that's all I want to know is my kids are okay. And she goes, I'm coming over. And I was screaming, don't come over, don't come over. And of course, you know, she found me in a fetal position again and pretty much walked me like a zombie to the doctor. She said, you need to go to a doctor. And I didn't know this at the time that my my husband I must have left a, a, I don't even remember leaving him a message, but I must have said something because he apparently dropped tools and got in the car and sped along the way and was pulled over by a cop and he burst into tears and said, my wife's really unwell. I need to get to her. And yeah. And I just remember being in the car with my friend and, and, and it was, it was a bit of a, a moment for me where I said, do I have three children or do I have children and a husband? Because I just didn't know. I just went into that space where I didn't understand where I was or who I was. And and I just remember her saying to me, yes, you do, Beck. You know, you have three children and a husband. And I just had to believe her. And I went on medication pretty soon after that. That was a non-negotiable. Had to go on medication. And, yeah, there was just, yeah, the yeah, it, it spiralled. It absolutely spiralled. It, it wasn't my last story of wanting to leave. But uh, yeah, it just, it, it 
I can't even remember the, yeah, it was, it was, it was a hell six or seven years, I think it was, of living like that. Yeah. So it went on for six or seven years. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The we, I think after my son's fifth birthday, I said to my husband, I want to move. And everyone, of course, thought I was crazy. And I said, well, there was not a doubt in my mind that I had to move. And so we moved into state where I knew no one, lost all my support services, all my doctors, psychologists, everything. And But I knew, I absolutely knew. And I guess just to throw more excitement into the mix, my husband was working, took a job where it was FIFO. So he was, he'd be away for two weeks at a time and home for a week. But I was medicated and I was fine and I was coping. My youngest, my little girl was two. Um, the two boys were starting, were at, would be at school. And, but unfortunately, I think because the medication was working so well, I thought I was doing well. So I came off it. We moved into January. I came off it around June. And again, it just started, the beast came back in and the panic attacks came back in and the anxiety came back in. And I really tried to work my way through it because I thought, no, I've I've got to do this. I've got to handle this. And unfortunately, it just slowly unfolded to the point where I think my husband was due to come home after two weeks and we planned to go out and it was rare. We never, ever went out because we had to find babysitters. And But we really wanted to go to this music concert or something. And something about that day, I, I he normally didn't get home till 6 o'clock at night. And I remember ringing him at 2 o'clock. My daughter, I had a cleaner at the time, thankfully. Uh, it just started unraveling. I rang my husband. And I said, when are you home? When are you home? And he said, you know, I'm, I'm home in a few hours. I'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I, I, no, I'm not okay. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. I could just feel it. It was like a pressure cooker moment. And he just said, please, please go to the doctor. Please go to the doctor. And I, I can't remember if I did or not. I just remember sitting in the cupboard waiting and my, because my cleaner was there, I just said, look, can you just have it for a couple of hours until my husband gets home? She turned out to be a babysitter as well as a cleaner, but truthfully. And I I was okay until my husband came home. We went out that night. We had a few drinks. When we came home, he must have had a few drinks because he was out like a light. And, and two weeks of working 14-hour days, he was always exhausted. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I just felt, again, the unease and it was brewing and rapidly. And I was trying to shake my husband's and I said, dang, I need you to wake up. I, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And of course, he just groaned and went back to sleep. But I remember waking up. He wasn't in bed at this stage. And I just, no idea where I was. And I just let out this blood curdling scream and he came in and he's thinking, you know, he's thinking he was going to find the worst. And I just said, I don't know where I am. Just hold my hand. And I had to hold on to him to ground me in reality because I felt like if he let go, I was going to be sucked into this black hole and never come out. And he's like, it's okay. And I went, don't, don't you dare leave me. And I had to keep my eyes on him because it was at that point where, it didn't matter whether my eyes were shut or closed. I was in a, I was somewhere else. And um, closing my eyes was terrifying. So 
for three days, he had to bring me out to the couch so that he could still look after the kids and me. And I laid on the couch. I didn't eat anything. He fed me water because he said, you have to drink. And I just lay there. I kept my eyes open as long as I could every day. And I had to go, that's, that's my that's my table. I'm still here. That's my son. I'm still here. I had to pinpoint things to tell myself what I didn't believe anyway, that I, I thought I was gone. I didn't know where I was. After three days, my husband said, I have to take you to the hospital, to the doctor. I have to take you to the doctor. And without an appointment, he walked me in and the doctors were like, she needs to be seen. She, uh, I don't know what I looked like. I must have looked frightening. And I went back on medication Again, again, that was a non-negotiable. And that was at the end of December 2014, that was. So we hadn't even been in Queensland for a year. And I felt defeated. But at the time, obviously, I knew I had to, to, you know, to keep myself alive and my children okay. And my husband had to go back to work. I had to go back on medication. But I did, funnily enough, after three weeks, I decided I wasn't going to stay on it which frightened the hell out of my husband but it was a turning point for me because I I knew I wasn't well but I also knew that I could change it and I was determined to do it at, at all costs because I didn't for me I felt relying on medication was a way out and it wasn't me dealing with what was really going on inside and I knew for me and I always say for me, because I know it's different for everyone, but for me, I didn't want to suppress the anxiety and panic. I wanted to almost befriend it. What's the story you're telling me? What is the fear? What is it? And so that's what I decided to do in um, January. Um, sorry, it was January 2014. We moved in January 2013. So, yeah, I embarked on walking through it really oh my gosh it's like a total breakdown isn't it total breakdown so right. so when you say you started walking through it what did you actually do what was the help that you got for that well I I, I, I one of the non-negotiables my husband said you have to go and see a psych, psychologist which I'd always seen one anyway but and I did I did agree to that initially but for me, I, the more I went, the more I came back feeling just the same. It, the, it was CBT, reframing your thoughts, being aware of your thoughts. But it wasn't doing anything because mine was mainly, it was mind, but it was body. And and I, I had to get that under control because it was hell. Trying to walk around every day, feeling like light as a feather or heavy as bricks. And often with my children taking them out to a shopping centre, feeling like I was going to collapse. It was, and I, I just, I I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So I did, I, I got rid of the psychologist, much to my husband's dismay. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to gonna do this myself. And the plan was to do not everything at once, just but just to tackle one thing at a time. And the most pressing thing for me was my body. The symptoms I had ravaged my body. I was not in control of it at all. So I learned to sit through it. I, I, you know, I remember sitting through my first panic attack 
And I, I don't know if I have the vocab to describe how hard that was. I mean, it's like a tsunami, you know, the impending tsunami and you're not going to move. You're just going to sit there and let it wash right through. I, I remember sitting there and I gripped my, my knees and it's like holding on for a ride. Like, okay, I'm not going because... I knew every time I reacted to the panic and and succumbed to it, that was it. That was it. You're in full-blown panic when you succumb to the avalanche of emotions and the shaking and trembling and the, the bubbling. And it was just, I still remember it. And I just went, no, I'm going to, I am not going to allow this to control me anymore. I'm going to allow it to come in and do its work and move on. Now, I don't know how long that took. I remembered I, I needed a nap after it because it was exhausting to just allow it to go through and just say, you know, Beck, you can do this. It's okay. You're actually, you are safe. There is no danger. This is just your body reacting to whatever fear it feels it's in. And it was just about training my body to learn it was okay. I had a false alarm system that went off at, at the slightest moment. Nothing had to trigger it much. And this avalanche of, you know, symptoms would just take over. And I had to learn to get to know it. What What's going on there? Why do you feel that way? What's going, yeah, I can feel that today. Okay. So, and sometimes I wouldn't even know. It was just automatic. And and that's the thing when, when we, when it gets on top of you, it's running you. You're, you know, you no longer have that control. And so I had to learn to take it back and go, actually, we're okay, Bet. We're okay. And so once I had my body symptoms under control and less frequent, and it, and it did because I was training my body, yep, it's okay, yep, you can do that. You can bubble up, but we're okay. I then tackled the beast in my head and, you know, I had to just tell it to fuck off. You're telling me that I can't do this, but actually I can't. You know, and I was, it was a, like a game of tennis. Okay, you telling me that I'm useless and I'm worthless, but actually I'm okay. Look at what I'm doing. My kids are healthy and clothed and fed and loved. And, you know, so I just kind of had to, you know, you can, and, and I used to talk to it. Yeah, you can sit there and say shit all day, but I'm not listening. I'm just going to keep going. And yeah, it was just this back and forth, back and forth until. I don't know, he just didn't have any more to say. Or wow. he did, but it didn't carry the weight anymore. It was, mm. no, actually, that's bullshit. You're, you're actually talking shit. I've done a lot. I've survived a lot. And I am okay. I am doing okay. And I'm not I'm not meant to be perfect. I, I actually don't need to predict every step of my life. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a lot of work. It was. Where did you get the strength for that? Because that... That is massive. And and the amount of trauma that you went through, you know, you can see the effect of that in these sort of tsunami panic attacks. It's 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 there's incredible strength in pushing through and healing from that. I don't I don't know. I just you know, I, I, I remember when I was eighteen and I was kind of at that moment. I remember sitting in my room at some point going, I don't want my life to be a result of my trauma. I don't want trauma to be the goddamn hero 
you know, and I and that sort of comes back to that bit of that defiance where it wasn't my fault and I didn't want my life dictated by that. You know, who was I under all this? You know, my, my life's trajectory was thwarted because of circumstances that were beyond my control. I had parents that I couldn't trust and I had parents that unfortunately let me down. But had I been in another family, would I be in the same situation? And I kind of went, well, what, what do I want? I mean, I, I didn't want, I, I had plans for my life and I wanted to be something else. So I wanted to give myself a chance to know what I could do and just not, I don't know, I just, I, I, I believe that we're, you know, we can teach ourselves things and, and I don't believe in accepting things as they are. And the one thing, and it's going to sound simplistic, and I often don't like saying it, but I used to say to myself when I was in that year of recovery, 2014, I wasn't born with anxiety. I wasn't born with panic attacks. I was never like this until, you know, I hit 30. So I need to get back to that. What, what do I need to do to get back to that? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That, and I, and I often say, you know, there's a line, I'm a bit of a Seinfeld fan, and there's an episode uh, with George where he starts doing the opposite and his life just kind of... It's just, it's this wonderful life he has. It's like if he, does, if he did the opposite, then he'd have all these great outcomes. And so I kind of looked at it a bit like that. Well, I'm panicking. What do I need to do to be calm? And you kind of got to, because everything we do, believe it or not, we actually have a strategy. We actually have steps to what we do. But because we do it so often, it's unconscious. You know, it's like driving a car. We know when we're driving a car, we have all these steps. But after a while, you don't even know what you're doing. You're just driving the car. And I believe it's the same with our behaviours. I couldn't pinpoint what I was doing to panic, but I had to learn to break it down. Okay, well, if, if that's what I do to panic, have this thought, have this fear and allow the, you know, the, the, the performance to go, what do I need to do in opposite to be calm? Because, you know, life is a, is a flip. We've got day, we've got night, we've got up, we've got down. So if, if I'm well behaved in knowing how to do a panic attack, which I was very good at, 
then I, I must know there must be another way to be calm. So I, I literally had to break everything down. And so I became really good at being a detective in my own body. Like, oh, my chest is tight. What's going on? What am I thinking? What's behind that? What's the thought? Okay, what, well, what do I need to do to be okay and to soften this and to, to be able to breathe? And so it was just all this... You know, I knew what I wanted and I had to work out the steps to do it and then I had to do it over and over. Yeah, we're good now. We don't need to react to that. It was like fixing a faulty switch. Yeah. I just had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, and I love everything you just said. It's so true. It's exactly what I say at the start of this podcast is we're not born this way. We're not born with anxiety. We're born as perfect souls and the direction our life takes is down to the people around us and we can bring ourselves back to that. And I love, you know, the determination and everything that you've done to really teach your mind and body how to bring itself back to its natural and beautiful state. And another thing I've noticed in your story is how incredible your husband is, like to have that kind of support in your life you know a lot of people don't have that and having that person there who's who's really by your side and worrying and and looking after you it's it's that's an incredible blessing too isn't it yeah and look you know I mean I I know he could have left 10 times over absolutely and look you know he he I think even after he read my book he goes I didn't even realize half of that stuff and and I do say to people, you know, when they say, how did you how did you have such a, you know, a supportive husband? You know, it wasn't just didn't want to leave. I don't think he ever wanted to leave, which is incredible, really. But I, I did say, look, it's hard for them. And I kept so much of this away from him because I was ashamed, because I wanted to try and fix it all, because I'm a mum and I'm supposed to be perfect and I'm supposed to just know, apparently, that's what we think. But when I revealed the anxiety to him and how bad it was, and, and obviously he saw three mental breakdowns, I also had to teach him what my anxiety was, you know, what my triggers were, what when I when I was starting to lose it. I had to become an open book because you, he's not a mind reader at the best of times. Uh, no one is. But I... I committed to him because he worked away as well so he was really trusting that I would be okay and but I committed to being honest with him and letting him know hey I'm not okay right now my you know I'd ring him in the middle of the shopping center with the three kids and go my legs feel like concrete can you just can you just sit with me for a moment can you just talk to me just can you just tell me I'm okay he was my gauge of reality and so I knew I wasn't a good gauge, so I had to use his gauge of reality. He was the stable one. He was the one could, that could see clearer than me. So I had to trust that whenever I rang him, he could tell me, it's okay, Beck. You're okay, Beck. And and he, because he was learning and, and I was talking and I was communicating all this to him so that he wasn't in the dark and so uh, it was just full exposure for him. He had to know how bad it was. And it was exhausting. You know, he was always tired at the end of the day. And that was hard for him to take that on. A sick wife, very sick wife as well. 
but he would, you know, he would start saying, okay, what are you thinking about? What do you think you're anxious about? And so he was learning, oh, you know, it could be nothing to him. But to me, you know, doing little things, going out, doing something with the kids, you know, it's terrified that I was going to lose it. He would start to go, right, what's the trigger? Where is it in your body? How are you feeling today? And, you know, so, you know, he had to learn as much as I did as well. Mm. And I, I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah, it, it's, it's extraordinary. But I, I do think it's very hard on partners, but you've got to let them in. You've actually mm. got to let them in on the loop because when you're that unwell, and I was very severely unwell, I, don't, I also don't think it's fair to kind of go, well, you should just know because it's it's such an individual experience and it's very, very difficult to explain to someone that you're losing touch with reality. To someone that's never experienced that, you know, they need to be educated and obviously they need to have the patience and the trust and the courage to be able to sit and understand this strange you know, mental illness that you're going through to go, man, like, that's what it's like. I mean, you know, I can't, I know, I know how hard that was for him. Absolutely. But I, I do think I absolutely had that responsibility to keep him up to date with the reality and and the brutal reality of, of mental illness. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, he sounds like a very good man, a very good man. Beck, your book is called Chasing Normal, and it's a great title, by the way. Why did you write the book? Um, I think I, I wanted to share, well, a few reasons, but I, I definitely wanted to share the reality. What's it like for someone who's had this start in life? And it's almost like, I always say, what do you expect? What do you expect from someone who's had this start in life with, you know, not the greatest parents to raise you or protect and nurture you? What do we really expect from people? So I wanted to give that reality that we don't, you know, people don't walk around with banners of their life history and we just assume, oh, they're all, they're all good. They're working. They've got friends. They, you know, they're out socialising. They've got careers. and But we don't really often look behind what's the reality of their lives and what have they really had to do to get to get to where they are and I guess we don't know people's stories so I wanted I really wanted to share that but the other part of me was was you know that we can recover Uh, it's a hell of a lot of work and it's you know I don't know it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life particularly the mental illness side of it and I really wanted to be able to share as as articulately as I could. And it, that was really difficult to write because I I wanted people to know, like to try and get inside my world and go, my God, how is she functioning? And but but know that we all have the capacity to heal, to recover, to have the normal that we're chasing and that's all I wanted for my life I wanted the normality as I saw it because I know it's a it's a broad word to use and it's different for everyone but I was chasing my normal of what I wanted and I had to do the groundwork I had no one else was going to do it and I knew it had to be me 
And I just, I wanted people to know that, you know, I, I, I did it on less than, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money, especially when I was younger. I was just fortunate enough to learn to do it myself and use, you know, as an avid reader myself, I was always reading about personal development and how could I learn to do this and how could I learn to do that? Things that you probably would have learned as in conversations with your parents and watching your parents growing up that I didn't have. So I just, you know, I think hope is a bit of an overused word, but I guess I wanted that for people. Like I'm no one that comes from, I don't come from wealth. I, I just had to I had to do it because I wanted to do it because I, I knew that I deserved a life that wasn't tarnished by trauma and I, and I didn't want to suffer. I mean, I just didn't want that for myself and I wanted my children to have a mum that was present and well. So I just, I guess I wanted to really share the possibility that, you know what, it's bloody hard. It's freaking hard work, but once you get there, my God, you know, it's the rewards can't be understated. You know, I've never gone back to that. It's been what, it'll be 10 years in December since my last worst mental breakdown. I've never gone back to medication. No, and I've never gone back to that panic or anxiety. I mean, I have anxiety. I think it's normal levels now, but yeah, I just, you know, I just wanted people to know that we can overcome things. We really can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because if anybody can do it, you're a you're an example that it's totally possible. Beck, so your book is Chasing Normal. Where can we find you and where can we find your book? So I, I well, my book is available online pretty much anywhere. I I, I do have a, a website that people can order direct and I've also got it in an ebook style for people that don't want the physical book. But, you know, I'm all over social media as, as much as anyone, I guess. Most of my ponderings and and strategies and, and thoughts are on Instagram. Beck.Thompson, I'm terrible with remembering all the different things. Yeah, so I, and I float around on, on Facebook just under Beck Thompson. I think I've even got author Chasing Normal. Yeah, so, you know, I just I mainly get on there and just share my thoughts on on, on recovery and perspective on, on, on trauma and things like that. So Yeah, I will put the links to the book and to all the places that you can find back in the show notes. And please do go and order a copy of Chasing Normal because it is an extraordinary story. Beck, I think you're incredible. I really do. I mean... <laughs> I hear so many stories of trauma. Yours is, is yeah, it's so deep. And I, I look at what you've been through and just the courage and the strength that you've shown to get through it. It's, it is incredibly inspirational for people and I'm so glad you've written your book. It's a powerful reminder to everyone that listening to our own voice matters that you know we do have a voice that we can overcome things and just thank you for your honesty and for sharing your story thank you no it's it's a pleasure thank you for the opportunity yeah I think I love the name of your podcast by the way I just it's such a you know how how my parents raised me I just you've got never-ending stories that's for sure but no no thank you thank you that means a lot 
thank you for, for having me on. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.